Welcome to this podcast from Christchurch London. For more information and resources, please go to ChristchurchLondon.org. Thank you so much. Um, the last service, I forgot this, which is a very important part of preaching for me. And that was a problem. <laughs> but I made it in time, so all is good. Um, it's so, so nice to be here. I have had several embraces of different people, which is so nice. I, people I know. Um, because I, <laughs> I've been at Christchurch for a long time. Like, when I was a student now, it was over 10 years ago. It's really scary. <laughs> um, which means Andy's really old, because he was already old when I was a student. <laughs> <laughs> You're mean to me sometimes. Um, no, I, I've been at Christchurch for a long time. I met Johnny, my husband. I love you, Andy. Um, I met Johnny, my husband, here, and now we have a little girl called Maddie, and we are at the Stockwell service. But um, I used to be here on Sundays with lots of you, and we have the extra novelty factor of um, being in this cool Crown Plaza hotel, which I'm really enjoying. Very snazzy. I like it. Um, I just realized I didn't actually start the clock when I said <laughs> <laughs> Second step to getting the timing right. Um, great. So today I'm continuing our series on visions of God. I'm really enjoying it, and I hope you are too. I hope we continue to enjoy it today. Um, the whole point of this series is to look at different kind of um, different imagery of God that we have throughout the Bible, um, and some of them are um, more obscure, and some of them are uh, better known. Today is a much better known one. We don't have um, any crazy creatures with lots of wings, um, but we have Moses and the burning bush, which I think even if you um, are not really um, aware of the Bible or haven't been to church much, you've probably seen this image of the burning bush and you, you know about it. Um, but <clears throat> what lots of us um, aren't aware of, um, perhaps even if we have been in church a long time, is the context to this story. And I think the context is really important to understanding this particular image that God gives us of himself. And, um, and I hope that as we really understand um, where this comes from and what's going on in the story, it will really cause us, um, as we want to do with this series, to uh, finish today full of worship and wonder and in awe of God. Um, so before I read um, the passage, in, which is in Exodus 3, I'm just going to give you a little bit of background to what is going on um, at this point. So um, Moses... Um, well, the Israelites had moved to Egypt. Uh, this happened when Joseph uh, became, uh, went, um, got a position high up in government, in the Egyptian government. Um, and because uh, he was loved and liked within the Egyptian government, um, his family were allowed to come to Egypt. And so kind of the Israelites moved to Egypt. And um, in the following uh, years, um, that Pharaoh died and a new king came to power in Egypt. At the same time, the Israelites were having a lot of fun in Egypt. They were having a lot of babies. Um, it says that uh, Pharaoh became really worried because uh, the Israelites were multiplying so quickly. Um, so um, he actually made, in order to control, to try and control the Israelites to stop them from becoming more powerful than the Egyptians, he uh, made them slaves in Egypt. So he used them and he worked them very hard. He worked 
it says, mercilessly and ruthlessly, um, the Israelites became oppressed. They were used uh, to build the kingdom of Egypt. And still the Israelites multiplied and became more numerous. And so Pharaoh ordered the midwives um, when they were delivering Israelite babies, if it was a little baby boy, that he should be killed. Um, so this is uh, where Moses comes in to the picture. He is an Israelite baby boy. And his mother, um, you know, the options are either he's killed or she does something to try at least and save his life. So the famous story, she puts him in a basket and places him in the river and he goes downstream. Um, amazingly, he's discovered by Pharaoh's daughter and there's an Israelite there when this happens. The Israelite knows who this baby is and says, let me go uh, fetch a nurse who can nurse him for you because the daughter wants to keep this baby. And she goes and she fetches um, Moses' mother who nurses him. Um, and then um, Moses is left to be raised in Pharaoh's household in the palace. Um, so he's being raised and is, um, as an Egyptian, though he is an Israelite. This must have been incredibly painful for Moses. He's living in the palace, living a luxurious life, completely powerless as he watches on to his people being slaughtered, being beaten, and being used and oppressed. He couldn't do anything about it. He was helpless and powerless to change the situation. We can only imagine that Moses was yearning and longing and dreaming of the day when he somehow could see his people free of this oppression. And we know that this yearning must have been there because one day he's walking outside and he sees what must have been a really common sight, which is an Egyptian beating up an Israelite and Moses kills the Egyptian. So it seems like the emotion of it, the longing of it, the yearning of it to see an end to this injustice kind of overcomes Moses and he kills an Egyptian. Now, when this happens, um, news soon spreads and Pharaoh finds out Pharaoh wants to kill Moses. And then Moses is walking amongst the Hebrews and um, uh, the Israelites and he sees two of them um, fighting and he says, stop fighting. And they say, hey, who are you to think that you can say something to us? Who made you king over us? Who do you think you are, Moses? You've grown up in the palace. You're not even one of us. And Moses is rejected by Egypt. He's rejected by his own people, Israel, and he flees to a desert in Midian. And this is where our story starts today. He's living in this desert. He's um, married now and working as a shepherd. And we're told that he has a baby and he names the, the name of the baby means, um, I have become a, um, an alien in a foreign land. So it doesn't seem like he's happy and enjoying it. Um, <laughs> things are obviously pretty difficult for him. So this is where we're going to start reading then. Exodus um, uh, chapter 3. Now Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian, and he led the flock to the far side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. The angel of the Lord appeared to him in flames of fire from within a bush. Moses saw, um, Moses saw that the bush was on fire, but it didn't burn up. So Moses thought, I will go over and see this strange sight, why the bush does not burn up. When the Lord saw that he'd gone over, God called to him from within the bush, Moses, Moses. 
And Moses said, here I am. Do not come any closer, God said. Take off your sandals, for the place where you are standing is holy ground. Then he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. At this, Moses hid his face because he was afraid to look at God. The Lord said, I have indeed seen the mis misery of my people in Egypt. I have heard them crying out because of their slave drivers, and I am concerned about their suffering. So I have come down to rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them out into a land that is good and spacious, a land flowing with milk and honey, the home of the Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites. And now the cry of the Israelites has reached me, and I have seen the way the Egyptians are oppressing them. So now go. I'm sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? And God said, I will be with you. And this will be a sign to you that it is I who sent you. When you've brought the people out of Egypt, you will worship God on this mountain. Moses said to God, suppose I go to the Israelites and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you. And they ask me, what is his name? Then what shall I tell them? God said to Moses, I am who I am. This is what you are to say to the Israelites. I am has sent me to you. God also said to Moses, say, the is say, God also said to Moses, say to the Israelites, the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever, the name you shall call me from generation to generation. So, an amazing story. Um, as I've been reflecting on the story of the last few weeks, to me, the thing that really comes out is that this is a story of commissioning. It's a story about calling. And very interestingly, this is a story about God calling a man, not to some random task, something he's never thought of or um, dreamed of, but God is calling Moses to do the very thing that he had been longing and yearning and aching to see happen his whole life probably. He was, I don't know if any of you have had the experience of being um, young and passionate and zealous and not really have a clue what you're doing, but you're so passionate that you go in and you do something and you fail. I definitely have. I'm not going to go into that story right now for another time. But um, that is what happened to Moses and he failed. And his dream is like a dead dream at this point. It's a dead longing, a dead yearning. We can only imagine that he buried that dream when he was rejected by his own people, probably most hurtfully, but also Pharaoh drove him out of Egypt. And very interestingly, it's this burning bush that, that is the, this is the, the place of his commissioning, the place where God resurrects this dead dream, speaks to this longing and this aching and this yearning that he's always lived with. Why a burning bush? Well, um, I really did not know, or I didn't have any uh, idea about why a burning bush, because I kept thinking, you know, there's so many examples in the Bible of God appearing in some big vision or an angel and something unmistakably God, and this is a plant on fire. I mean, it's really weird, and it's, at first glance, it's, it's just a strange image. 
Um, but uh, thankfully, I was talking to Tim Frisbee the other day at, a, at dinner with a few friends, and Tim said that actually there are examples throughout the Bible of God um, appearing to people in kind of subtle and almost natural ways, um, because what God is trying to do in these instances is catch our attention, and in these, and it's only when we turn towards that thing, when we're still enough, when we're paying attention enough to notice things, and that we turn towards it, and that is when people get a revelation of God. God speaks to them. God tells them something of himself. So I was imagining, you know, in our current day, this is a real challenge, being still enough, noticing enough to notice the small things. So this was actually a really, probably natural thing. I imagine there were lots of bushes on fire in the desert. It's hot. There's plants around. They're probably dry. Um, so it would have been kind of a common thing to see. But Moses is still enough and observant enough for it to catch his eye and for him to go over. And of course, it says um, that Moses says, I will go over and I will look at this. He makes a conscious decision to go check it out. And God notices that. God responds to that. God says, when God, the Lord saw that Moses had gone over, then he calls out his name. And this is such a challenge for us because I think so often in our time, we are like this, right? Like we're on our phones. Like we sometimes, do you ever, are you ever on the bus and you look around and you're like, whoa, this is weird. Everyone is like that. And not only are we head down, and including myself, but we're also like filling our minds with all other people's opinions, what they're saying and their pictures and their lives and blah, 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 blah. And our lives are so full of images and words that sometimes I wonder if we miss out on just little things God does in the natural world to get our attention and to speak to us. Thank God there were no iPhones because poor Israel might have been left in Egypt. Um, not really. <laughs> Um, but I, I recently read um, this article on a, on a website called Pathways to God, which is a Jesuit website about encountering, learning to be still, actually. And um, it really made me think of this whole concept. It's, I find it really beautiful, so I'm going to read it to you. Uh, the writer says, I encountered God for the first time in a large flowering currant bush. It was springtime, and I was eight. I wasn't expecting to see him in my garden. <laughs> I recognized him through the exquisite beauty of the abundant pink and red tubular flowers and the fresh green of the new leaves of the bush. I saw the fullness of new life burgeoning forth from the stems that had been stark and dreary just a few weeks before. God spoke to my heart in the cool April breeze of his love for me. It opened my eight-year-old eyes to see the world as a gift from God to love and enjoy and that God's love was for all such a beautiful picture. And that um, writer goes on to explain how this was a really key moment in her life, in her journey with God. And what did it require? Her simply noticing some flowers, something as ordinary as a plant, interestingly. And so it is as Moses notices this natural occurrence and then notices there's something strange about it and goes over and faces it that then he has this encounter with God where God takes, as we said, in the, the, the old dream, the old longing that was in his heart, maybe the dead dream that he was still carrying and turns it into a calling 
when I was looking up in the dictionary what the word commission means, it was really interesting because in reference to the government, when the government commissions something, it means that the government places authority on a person to carry out a task. And I think that's what it is with God too. When God calls you, when God whispers into your heart something that you long for and he confirms, you feel him confirm, yes, that is what I want you to do. That means that you have authority from God to carry out that thing. And as we'll learn later, commissioning and calling has so little to do with us and so much to do with God and who he is. Most of this passage is about God and about who God is and um, God trying to explain to Moses just how amazing he is. So if you have a whisper from God, if you have any sense that your longings and your achings might be from something that God is calling you to do, that means that you are commissioned with the authority from God to do that thing. So interesting because Moses was told by the Israelites, who are you? Who made you king over us? And God is saying, I give you authority now to do this thing. And I don't know about you if you, I know lots of us, I mean, we've even talked about it this morning a bit from Michael and different people bringing words about calling. I don't know if you have a strong sense of calling. It can be a really hard thing. It can feel weird to articulate something as my calling. Um, but maybe an easier way of saying that is, like Moses, do you just have a yearning or an aching? Is there something that you see in the world, some kind of injustice or brokenness or something not the way you believe it's supposed to be, and you have a desire to change it, to transform it, to see God come into it, then it's really likely that that is something that God has for you. Because the Bible says in Ephesians 2 that every single one of you was created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for you to do. God created you and fashioned you just the way you are with all of your strengths and all of your weaknesses, the things that make you passionate, the things that bring you to life. And he created that within his mind before you were even born, something for you to accomplish. Each one of us, just like Moses, has a destiny and a purpose. There is a reason you are the way you are. There is a reason you are alive. And it's to be in relationship with God and to do his good works, to bring about redemption and healing and life and creativity and um, uh, renewal of the whole earth because that is God's plan. And he's only looking for people who will believe that God is who he is and not discount themselves because of what they're like because that's what he's telling Moses not to do. I don't know if you can relate to Moses at all. He is evidently um, actually quite afraid and intimidated by the task. Um, he um, has a series of really um, kind of humorous objections to what God's calling him to do. So um, at first he says to God, who am I? And that's in our passage. And God uh, kind of tells him what he needs to know about God. Then he says, um, what shall I tell them? Um, okay, well, I'll tell you what you need to tell them. What if they don't believe me or listen to me? God deals with that. But I've never been eloquent. Okay, fine. I will put someone with you who can speak on your behalf, Aaron. Oh, but Lord, I'm slow to speech and tongue. I'm not a very good speaker. 
And then it says that the, the Lord's anger burned against Moses. God's getting like really annoyed at this point. And then God gets mad and Moses still says, oh Lord, please send someone else to do it. He's like at his final tether. Um, and I wonder if you can relate to that feeling in reference to those dreams you hold. I think sometimes like God is big and God doesn't just want to change us and our families, and our communities, and our city, and our nation, which he does, he is out to change the entire planet. <laughs> so God's dreams are really big, and this is the God that we're serving. So it might be that you have a really big dream, a really big longing, a really big desire, and it can just feel really intimidating sometimes. Um, I know that... Um, Oh, yes. I know that I definitely can relate to Moses at the moment. I, um, some of you will know I've been working at Refugee Support Network um, for the last long time, eight years. And uh, we are an organization, small Christian organization based in London. And the main thrust of the organization is that we want to bring hope and a sense of, the, uh, of hope and a future to young refugees and asylum seekers, um, actually all over the world. That's our big dream. Um, intimidating. But um, the main way that we do that at the moment is through um, educational activities. So we invest in young people's education because it's a forward-facing thing. So we believe that when we invest Invest in education, it's a really practical way of communicating to young people. We believe that you have a hope and a future and that it's a future worth us investing in. But more recently, um, a few of us at RSN have been feeling a yearning and a longing to kind of speak this more explicitly to young people, to actually say the words that we want to say to them and not just the practical side. Um, and I have felt in the last year uh, my own kind of... Um, calling and commissioning from God to do this, that this is truly something that I believe God wants me to do. And it might not sound so, oh yeah, so I just tell you what I'm actually doing. Um, I'm writing a leadership course at the moment for young refugees and asylum seekers um, in London and hopefully in other parts of the world um, where I am, um, that gives us opportunity to speak to young people that we believe that they have inherent worth and value, that we believe there is goodness in them and that there's purpose to their lives and that we believe that they have a hope and a future. So it's pretty explicit in and in speaking these values over these young people. And it might not sound scary to you, but in the last few weeks as I've been writing this curriculum, I've been also meeting with young people for some of the other programs I work on at RSN, and I'm sitting face-to-face -face with some of these 16 to 20-year-olds who have come from places like, you know, like Aleppo or Baghdad or um, rural parts of Afghanistan. And I'm looking at them in the face and I'm thinking that I'm, I'm preparing this course for these young people and kind of like, almost like, yeah, just holding it in my heart and my mind as I'm talking to them and feeling so overwhelmed by my inadequacy at the moment. Like, I feel like Moses in this situation, like, you know, in the palace, a privileged life. I've not been down with the Israelites working hard. Um, I've not experienced anything close to what some of these young people have seen. I mean, I'm sure you've all read about the lives of refugees in the media, that these are people who have witnessed family members killed before them and their cities destroyed, their whole nations laying in ruins at the moment. And to look into their eyes and, and, and think, I've, I've honestly felt, who am I to speak 
into these young people's lives in this way. I don't know if you can relate to that at all. But we're going to go into next what God does with Moses' fear and his sense of inadequacy. So I hope it can help us as we bear in mind the longings and the dreams and the sense, maybe sense of calling that each of us hold. So the first thing that God does with Moses is he tells Moses who he is. Moses asks, as in who God is, Moses asks, who am I, Lord? And God never answers that question. He doesn't say to him, oh, Moses, you are so wonderful. You're such an eloquent speaker. It's not really true that you can't speak. You're actually great at it. And you have all of these, you know, you grew up in Pharaoh's house, so you are particularly qualified. And I've heard this argument before about the story that he's really qualified. I think the opposite. Pharaoh wanted to kill Moses. The Israelites hate Moses. He didn't grow up as one of them. He's probably the worst placed Israelite to do the job. And God doesn't deny it. He doesn't, he doesn't deny it. What he does is he tells Moses who God is. And you know, this is where we find human beings will flourish most in their sense of identity when they understand their creator. Let me ask you a question. Was anyone born of a mother in this room? Anyone come into the world that way? <laughs> Or no, any, any I am's who I am's, no? Okay, your existence, your physical existence hinges entirely on your parents' existence because two cells had to come together in an act of love and had to make, had to make you. Let's think about that for a minute, um, or not. Um, I, um, but, but even, and therefore no human being can exist independently no one made themselves. But look, I've had a baby, and I can tell you, yes, her physical existence is dependent on mine. She couldn't exist if I had never come to be. But I really didn't make her. Like, I didn't know she'd have blonde hair and blue eyes and that she would like the song Uptown Funk. She does. She loves it. I mean, these are all the, like, the, the, the nuances of a person. I mean, I didn't know anything about her until she came to be. I'm definitely not responsible for the amount of sass in that little girl. I mean, that is all God. She is definitely created by someone, not me. Um, but truly, like, oh, seeing her come into the world, it, when you see a little baby or a friend's little baby, and you look at their face and you think this, this um, individuality and this person, and it, it can't, I mean, it's not, it's, there's no other way, but then they were created and there's no other way that they'll ever know who they truly are until they understand that they were made by someone, that someone created them. And that's why God doesn't tell Moses, oh, these are all the great things about you and this is who you are. He says, Moses, I am the uncreated God. He says, I am who I am which it could also be, I will be who I will be. What does this mean? He also then says, um, he says, I am the Lord. And when it's capital, capital letters in the Old Testament, it's, uh, it's almost the same thing as this I am who I am. Um, 
it comes from the same derivative in um, Hebrew. So I am is Echyeh, and the Lord is Yahweh. Um, so, uh, but it was too holy to write down. So the Hebrew writers um, put in this other word, which is now translated as all capital Lord. That is God's name, personal name in the Bible. I am who I am, or Yahweh. He will be what he will be. He is entirely independent from us. He is nothing like us. No one made God. He wasn't born of a man or a woman. No one fought him up. He just is since the beginning of time for all eternity. This is the God who calls us and loves us. This is who we worship. This is who we serve. It's nothing to do with us. Everything to do with a self-sustaining one true God, Yahweh. And this is comforting, right? When you're given an impossible task, like the all-sustaining, the source of all life, everything you can see in the universe, our own, the reality we're currently living in, it all comes from him. He is the life, the source, the energy. So that's comforting for Moses. But then he takes it even further and he says, I'm the God of your fathers, of Abraham, of Isaac, of Jacob. And he's saying, you are mine Look who I am and you are mine. I made you. I created it. You, this is who you are, Moses. Look at me. You find who you are in me. And very lastly, and then we're going to worship, um, God doesn't just tell Moses who he is and therefore reminds, tells Moses who he is for the first time. That was a guy who's confused about his identity. I can relate, grew up in lots of countries. Am I American? Am I not? I don't know. Moses is like an Israelite, but he never lived with the Israelites and he was rejected by the Israelites and he was rejected by the Egyptians. And of course he named his child, I'm an alien in a foreign land. I mean, the poor guy didn't know who he was and God's defining himself and therefore defining who he is as his, one of his people. But then he goes further, he says, I will be with you. Not only am I the one commissioning you, but I'll, I'm gonna go with you, Moses. What does this look like? It looks like miracles, like plagues, like the red part, the Red Sea parting, and loads and loads of miracles, and, and then them creating a temple and an, an ark and a temple where the presence of God can rest because it's so powerful, like we saw. It's like a, a consuming fire, the Bible says. It's so holy, it's so other, like we've learned. That's what it looks like for Moses, that God stays with the Israelites. He travels with them. His presence stays there, his miracles, his intervention. But for us, it's way better. Um, <laughs> we live on the other side of Jesus. Do you know what Jesus' name is? Why his pro the prophecy says he will be Emmanuel, God with us. Jesus is God with us. It's not intervention, it's incarnation. God didn't just come and stay in an ark and in a temple. He came like a man, like us, created from a woman, like us. He laid down his echye nature, his I am who I am, and he became a man. And then, of course, we know he died on the cross and defeated all the darkness that we see in this world. Ultimately, he defeated it, and then he gave his spirit. And do you know what his spirit looked like on Pentecost? Do you remember? It's a flame of fire resting on each person's head, which just makes me think of the burning bush. 
but kind of symbolizes that it's no longer this holy, scary, take off your shoes, but it's living in our bodies, in our spirits, going everywhere we go. No longer do we have to rely on the intervention and the rituals to go into the temple and be in God's presence. Now, right here, right now, he's on us. The fire of God is on us and it burns in us. We're so much more blessed than Moses because we're not fueled by that fire that we once saw. We're fueled by a fire within us. It burns within us. But I just want to bring it back to where Moses was at when he encountered that bush. The stillness, the noticing, the stillness before God. And I think um, Elise brought something, or someone brought something about the stillness, or maybe, um, anyway, someone did. There's a stillness that we need to bring into God's presence that we can feel the fire within us and hear it. So as we, maybe the worship band want to come back up. As we finish, let's go into worshiping this picture of the God who's a consuming fire and you'd want to hide your face from, but yet has come to be the fire in you. Why don't you stand and I'll pray for us. God, when we stir up our minds and our hearts with everything that you are and everything that you've done, it does feel like a fire burning inside us. It feels exciting and warm and comforting. I just pray now, Holy Spirit, God, fill us with your holy presence. We don't do this lightly. We remember that generations before us had to do so many things and rituals to go into your presence and experience it. But we say thank you, Jesus. And come, come be in us now, God. And I pray, God, for every longing and yearning and aching in these people, what each one of us carry. God, where there are dead and buried dreams, today would you resurrect them by your power, by your voice, by your commissioning. where we've disqualified ourselves, would you come and tell us who you are that we would know who we are? Come by your presence. Come, Holy Spirit. We love you so much. We're so hungry for you. We're so desperate for you. Amen. Thank you for listening. For more information or for further podcasts and downloads, please visit ChristChurchLondon.org.
Just before we continue singing, I think the Lord's really spoken to us today. And I think He's really wanting to impress on us that it's not about us, whether we carry live dreams or dead dreams, but it's all about Him. I am who I am. And I'm going to give us an opportunity towards the end of this song to come forward for prayer. And I want to say that now, just so you know. So we're going to sing this together. But before we finish, I'm going to come back and I'm going to give you an opportunity to come forward and the prayer team will come forward. I think God wants to press deep into our hearts what he's been saying this morning.
I want to give an opportunity now for those that would like to receive prayer. Maybe you came in this morning carrying dead dreams, dreams you'd given up on, dreams you were spending more time doubting than believing. Or maybe, and this is so easy to do,